RadioInfluence.com. Welcome to the Fight HQ Podcast. Of course, I am Jason Foyd. That is the fighter, Pete Rogers Jr. Sorry we didn't have a show last week. Uh, both our schedules are kind of hectic, but we want to get to the show this week, a little later in the week than we normally would. But, uh, Pete, I guess we uh, we picked a good day to do this show because uh, some pretty big news uh, dropped here on uh, early early Thursday afternoon. I was I was in the car, and I, I get the text message, hey, uh, Michael Chandler has been signed to the UFC. And I think really the, the probably the, the biggest part of this equation, Pete, is the fact that he is now the backup fighter for Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje. Who's this guy's manager, man? Who is this guy's manager? Because whoever it is, he's he's doing a fantastic job. I mean, talk about trying to like prove yourself outside the UFC and get signed. You get signed and immediately are a replacement fighter in one of the biggest fights in UFC history. Like, holy moly! Like Dana White must have been the like closet Michael Chandler biggest fan in the world or something because like I don't see how you know, just a regular guy who's a prospect gets signed and, and has such a shot like this. Granted, Michael Chandler is probably the biggest signing ever. I mean, I, I would imagine. I think that's the biggest signing ever. Uh, man, in terms of, of guys who come up from Bellator, yeah, he would have to be up there. You know, one of the things I, w- I was thinking of as I was I was in the car and kind of thinking about this of, you know, when you look at Michael Chandler, I, I think it's also another story in MMA where, you can have a bad string and turn things around. You think about when he had those three losses in a row, lost to Eddie, then lost back-to-back fights against Will Brooks. It was this like, okay, where is Michael Chandler going to go here? Especially the second loss to Will Brooks. He gets knocked out, and you were kind of like, man, where's Michael going to go from here? And you know he's turned things around, coming off a great performance against Benson Henderson. And I, I, I think me and you had had private conversations where I – I didn't feel Michael Chandler was going to be back in Bellator. That was always my gut feeling. I think it was, A, Michael Chandler's at a point in his career at 34 years old. If you want to be the best fighter in the world, and this is no knock to Bellator, and and I think that, I don't think Bellator will ever admit this publicly, but privately I think they would say, yes, we understand what you're saying. You can't be the best 155-pound fighter in the world and fight in Bellator right now. That's just not the case. And so at his age... This is really his last opportunity to get to the UFC to show he's one of the best 155 pounders. And I just, I don't know, I just kind of felt that if you listen to what Scott Coker had said over the past couple of weeks, it kind of, it just came off as he was ready to part ways. He was ready to let Michael Chandler just move on. And, uh, you know, for Michael Chandler, he gets what he wants. Um, I think as fight fans, we we get to see what, what can a Michael Chandler do in the UFC. But uh, I will tell you, I am surprised that he's getting immediately thrown into this potential opportunity, which may not happen. You know, who knows? Maybe he ends up fighting Tony Ferguson, you know, with everything that's going on there with Dustin Poirier. But to me, like, I look at this and I was like, I thought he would get like a Paul Felder, Charles Oliveira type fight. Man, I did not see this one coming. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, the hype behind him is so crazy. And the UFC is being very careful because they don't want to ruin it. Maybe he comes over and just gets completely annihilated. Or maybe this is like a, you know, this was Bellator's best guy and we want to make a statement and put him against our best guy and show him that, you know, he's nowhere near the top. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the case because I do think that there's tons of promise in Michael Chandler. I think that he represents a very big problem for a ton of the division on um, Unbelievable wrestling, can wrestle with the best, uh, has great, great striking. I think that a Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler fight would be one of the most insane fights ever. And uh, I think, you know, they're pretty similar in ways. But, um, you know, I think Michael Chandler represents somewhat of the same problems that Justin Gaethje could to Habib Nurmagomedov. You talk about a guy that could potentially keep it on the feet, potentially and uh, has a, a striking advantage over Habib. So we'll have to see how things play out. I mean, you know, all it takes is Justin Gaethje or, or Habib to pop for COVID, and next thing you know, Michael Chandler, who was, you know, a couple months ago in Bellator fighting Ben Henderson, is now in the UFC on the biggest card ever. So, um, you know, the MMA guys, they, they want him in the UFC. So I, I guess, you know, we're in for a treat. 
Yeah, him versus Gaethje would definitely be a, a very fun fight. I mean, you know, I mean, if you when you think about Justin Gaethje, I mean, yes, he has an amateur wrestling ability, and and when we see him compete, it's more about using it as a a defensive method more than anything else. He's not, you know, uh, you know, go find me a time where Justin Gaethje went for a takedown. He may not. It may you may have to go to his regional scene. And Michael Chandler, you know, obviously that was kind of the storyline with him, especially early on in his Bellator run. But what ended up happening is, is he really started just using it defensively and, and primarily using it as a striking ability. So it, it's going to be interesting to kind of see, you know, how well he does. I mean, let's, you know, if we're, you know, Will Brooks, the last Bellator uh, lightweight champion to come over the UFC, it didn't go well for him. And, and you know, and, and, and Will was not thrown to the fire like Michael Chandler is going to be thrown to the fire, which me and you had talked about before on a previous episode where this was, I mean, look, Chandler's not going to be given uh, a tune-up fight. He's going to get thrown right in there because, I mean, look, you know, there's probably going to be part of it where Dana White is probably, you know, he doesn't want to make him look so great because then it can hype up Bellator. I mean, look, and if you're a current Bellator lightweight, you're Patricio Pitbull or anybody else over the Bellator lightweight division, it, even if you do not like Michael Chandler, you got to become the biggest Michael Chandler fan because if he goes over and succeeds in the UFC, it makes Bellator look really good as well. Yeah, he wipes the stereotype. And, uh, you know, if Michael Chandler goes over there, maybe people will start holding Bellator in a higher regard. Obviously, the talent pool in Bellator is unbelievable. It's just the depth, the depth of the UFC and their abilities to get any fighters they want. Um, you know, Bellator's growing, and Bellator's really showing that they are that next step as well. So, um, you know, I think people will be, you know, casuals will be surprised at how talented Michael Chandler actually is. I think that him against Tony Ferguson is a very interesting fight. I mean, we saw what... Justin Gaethje was able to do, and I do think that Michael Chandler could replicate that or do it even better. Um, hard to do better than that, though. Justin Gaethje's performance in that fight was bananas. So, um, you know, what a perfect day to do a podcast. I mean, we just literally had the biggest news, the biggest signing ever, and in my opinion. Like, you think when Eddie Alvarez came over to the UFC, um, didn't really work out, and the UFC kind of liked that. Um, you think about what you said, Will Brooks coming over, not the best performance, not the best stay in the UFC. I do think that Michael Chandler breaks that mold and is, is here to stay and here to show that he can honestly be top five for a very long time. Hector Lombard, another one, yeah. a Bellator champion. Really because Hector was a, was an animal. Like Hector, when he came over, I was like, Oh my goodness, he is going to destroy so many people. And it was, it was pretty pretty obvious it was the opposite um yeah i think that if lima came over that would probably be the next biggest signing he just signed a new deal with bellator so he's not going anywhere very smart they better keep him because he's so good yeah and he is a massive 170 if you've never been around douglas lima man he 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 i think he walks around just as big if not bigger than middleweights yeah like you know if if I keep getting older and keep getting up and wait, maybe I'll see 170 one day. But after seeing him, I don't want to touch 170 for a while. So uh, <laughs> it'd be 55 for me. Yeah, we're, we're talking about you hitting 170 on a scale for a, a fight. Oh, oh. <laughs> this guy's floating 220 probably. Um, I remember being around him, um, the original Bellator pay-per-view um, in Memphis. And we were out, out uh, and about, and he came up. We started talking, and I'm like, "Holy cow!" Like he was as big. I, he, I would bet he was he was 200, 205 pounds. Yeah, and p if people don't know, Jason's a big guy. Jason's a tall guy. Like you know, Jason's if Jason's saying that somebody's a big guy, Jason's around football players all the time, so he knows what a, what a big dude is. And if he's saying Douglas Salima is humongous, then uh, big boy, dude. yeah. Big dude, yeah. That's uh, I don't know if you saw. They actually announced uh, Liam Musasi is going to take place in. Yes. Uh, was it November? Yeah, in October, a, November, something like that. I know it's up, up at Mohegan. That was Bellator's big announcement, was it not? Um, Scott Coker got on and, and announced that fight, and uh, yeah, it was it, it was part of it. It's the whole move to uh, CBS Sports Network, which uh, I think the most interesting part about that is they're going to Thursdays, which I don't quite understand during football season 
to Ooh. to compete. You know, some obviously the cars will be there over in um, Europe will be in the afternoon. As now, as MMA fans, the best news with that is that they're going to air them live. They will not be via tape delay. But yep. uh, like the October fifteenth show, which will be back at Mohegan, the Chris Cyborg card that's going to be on a Thursday, and, and so um, that to me was the interesting part of, of that decision. You know, it, it's now becomes you know obviously one of the issues that Bellator's had is the international fires of you know getting them fights to get them to the United States. I know that they have been working on getting their international fires, the ability to get to the United States. Uh, mm-hmm. Gegard Musasi, that was one of the ones they've been working on. I know the Pitbull brothers have been working on it as well, which, you know, obviously Patricio Pitbull, the double champion at 45 and 155 pounds, um, you know, and that's that's really put a stall on that 145-pound tournament. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of see now with, with Chandler gone, what that means for the Bellator 155-pound division. What do they do there? Um, obviously, you know, you have Benson Henderson, you know, now coming off a loss. You got Miles Jury, who, who they've signed over there. So be kind of interesting to see. But, yeah, it's going to be, you know, I, I think the other interesting aspect of this, if you are Gaethje and or Habib, how, like, do you prepare for Michael Chandler? Like, how do like that? That has got to be a thing of like, how do you work that in if you're the coach of Gaethje and, and Habib? So if you're Habib, you can, you know, train for Michael Chandler a lot easier than say Justin Gaethje would have to make adjustments for Michael Chandler. And the reason is because Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje are somewhat similar style, you know, stylistically. So Habib's basically facing somebody who has a great wrestling background with great hands. Um, so it's it would be somewhat easy to make that adjustment if you know, say Chandler stepped in on, on you know last minute notice. But for Gaethje, his camp is so wrestling-oriented and defending takedowns and not having to really worry about the striking of Habib Nurmagomedov. So a last-second switch to Michael Chandler could really throw a monkey wrench in, in his strategic plans. But he is backed by one of the best coaches in the game, Trevor Whitman. So I think that you know, with this news breaking, I'm sure Whitman's going to throw in some little nuggets of, you know, let's let's do this, let's do that, just in case. I mean, Whitman's not stupid. The guy's amazing. Um, you know, so I'm I just can't wait. Like this is huge. I'm so happy we waited, and if we finally got to do the podcast, like on the biggest day in UFC like <laughs> acquisition history. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I knew I knew there was a lot of fans that you know because Chandler and the UFC has been this flirtation every time he came up to uh, his contract, but he never actually, before this, tested free agency. He would always sign a new deal with Bellator before it got done. You know, his manager, and I'm pretty sure it's still the same manager, was Dave Martin. You know, they would always end up, you know, Bellator would put an offer on the table. They just say, you know what, we're going to take this offer. But, you know, this is, at, at the end of the day, as a fighter, the only way that you can determine your value as a fighter is when multiple organizations can, you know, make their pitch to you and throw your and, and throw a dollar figure out there. I mean, that's what that what makes free agency great for athletes is that you can get multiple suitors on the table and, and the highest bidder wins. I mean, we, we see it in, in every sport, you know, you know, particularly in major league baseball where there is no salary cap. You really yeah. see, uh, you know, guys are be able to get, you know, when Scott Boris can get that, that big deal for, for his pitcher. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there. With Michael Chandler, but you know one of the the topics that we did wanted to discuss a, a little bit was an incident we saw last week with uh, Mike Rodriguez, who we are both familiar with his fight oh. against Ed Herman, and uh, you know by now you, you've all seen what everyone knows what happened. Um, you know, I thought one of the and I mentioned this uh, yesterday on our podcast. One of the things I found really interesting watching the Contender Series on Tuesday night was the right before the first fight. They go, Mark Smith is is the referee for this. And oh, by the way, he's the referee for all the fights tonight. And I was like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. And it just, it made me think of, boy, Chris Tyone, who was the referee for uh, Rodriguez and Herman. I'm wondering, did the UFC, was he booked to work the Contender Series? Mark Ratner, who handles regulatory affairs for the UFC, did he go to Nevada and Bob Ben and go, nah, we don't want him working. We prefer him not to work our event. Yeah, it could have been a situation where the UFC flexed their muscles a little bit and, um, you know, it may, potentially he's like under suspension or pending the the uh, 
I don't know, let's the verdict of what should have happened in that fight. I mean, all of us know what should have happened in the fight. I be he missed it. He thought it was a, a groin shot. And uh, that's trusting the fighter rather than recognizing what's happening. Um you know, it's a very unfortunate situation for Mike and shout out to Mike. I hope that, you know, getting your win bonus kind of softened the blow a little bit, but I mean that that loss will be appealed by management and that they will work through everything. I'm sure that will get reversed. One of the few times that reversals will happen. I, I don't see that, you know, results getting switched too often in the sport of MMA. I mean, commissions are kind of bullish on their decisions and uh, they kind of stick with, with, you know, what was chosen at that time, unless it's flagrant. And I do think that this is a big one that they missed. And, you know, with, you know, quarantine going on and how many people and eyeballs on the sport, uh, this one needs to be fixed. It, it has to be fixed in order for the sport to continue to improve. Um, unfortunate it had to happen to Mike, but, uh, you know, maybe it's for the better for this, you know, better of the sport. Yeah, I spoke to Tyson Chardier, who's Mike Rodriguez's manager. They're uh, you know putting in the appeal on this one. Um, you know, one of the things that I'll I'll mention. There's two things I'm going to mention, and uh, it wasn't until someone had sent me a video of this. Go look at the end of the fight as uh, Ed Herman is going for the submission, and look at his toes curled inside the yeah. cage. You can't yeah. do that. So I'm sure that's probably something that uh, I, I really haven't seen a lot of people really bring that to a point. But my other big point on on this is. If we have instant replay in MMA, we got to use it. And you look at this situation, and, and to me, like, in a majority of commissions, that the the rule is if you go to instant replay, the fight's over. Okay. I don't necessarily I, – I, I get why that rule is there, but I think there's also got to be certain situations that, you know, you should be able to go to replay where even if it's, you know, a commission official – who's accessing that replay and then he can, or, or they can communicate to, to the referee working the fight to be like, Hey, Chris, not that man. That was a legal shot. That was not, that was a great legal shot fights over type thing. Um, but I, I, I just hope that like, if you think about like, I always use the NFL as an example because, you know, of my involvement with Tampa Buccaneers radio network every year, the competition committee is always looking at, okay, what happened this season? How can we improve on something that should be corrected? You know, every year you, you see something new. You know, there's always maybe an emphasis on a certain penalty. Uh, you know, two years ago it was about, you know, pass interference based on, on the playoff game with the Saints and, and and the Vikings. And we kind of saw how that played out last year with, you know, coaches being able to, you know, throw in a, a flag for a PI, which that's not in there this year anymore. So, like, to me, like, I think this is an opportunity for if commissions want to show that they're willing to evolve, this is a perfect example to show that you're willing to evolve. Because the one thing is, is there are certain commissions that I can look at and say, I believe those commissions want to evolve. They want to move the sport forward. They want to evolve with the times. There's other commissions that I believe want to be status quo. Nevada is one of those. Yeah, you know, it's... um. I've been saying it for years. We need to utilize instant replay. I mean, you think about probably the most by-the-book sport in the world, baseball. If baseball was able to implement instant replay when they were so against it, vehemently against it, and did not want anything to do with it, and now you've seen that missed calls and how how beneficial it is to have instant replay at your disposal. I mean, you're really just hurting the fighters and you're hurting the sport in the long run. Um, evolution is normal. We're human beings. Human beings make mistakes. Judgment calls. Sometimes judge, your judgment is wrong. And that's that's just a simple you know, fact. And uh, to really ha punish another athlete by the improper judgment of one individual, I think isn't correct. And I think that needs to be fixed. So like, why should the fight end if you go to instant replay? I, I don't understand that. I don't understand why that is a good rule. Like why, you know, if you go to instant replay in a, in a game, is the game over? No, it's not. I, I don't understand why the fight needs to be over. Obviously you're talking about completely different sports and, you, and you're talking about uh, extreme consequences of position and damage. And maybe a foul happens when say a guy is fully mounted and you took a guy out of such an advantageous position that you cannot really 
uh, emulate that same position and start them over there because it's too it's too bad it's too difficult so there's going to have to be some like wrinkles we have to we have to iron out the wrinkles with this situation but eventually we will evolve into a perfect system or, or close to perfect as we can be and each year like you said you know go back to the drawing board see what we need to fix and let's keep moving forward there's no reason to be so bullish and so against it, it you know how many times do we need to see this? How many times do we need to see this? And now the poor referee, Tyone, is going to be the face of one of the biggest missed calls and um, could potentially be out of job because of it. Well, think about this. It's not just this call. You know, he's been the referee for a couple of incidences where I, I just feel like we saw it on back-to-back weeks with you had the Timur Valiev versus Trevin Jones fight and the uh, uh, Martin versus uh, Cyphers fight where in the Valley of Jones fight, Valley of is just, I mean, beating the hell out of Trevin Jones. And then second round come around, Jones turns around and, and it wasn't a bad stoppage, but you kind of feel like, man, did he give Timur Valley as much room as he gave Jones in the first round? And then of course we saw the beating Maori Martin took in that first round against Hannah Cyphers, which you could have made a case the fight should have been stopped. So I, I think it, it's as and you can speak about this as a fighter that all you can ask out of the referee is consistency. Give me yeah. the same leeway that you're giving my opponent. Right, and that's the problem is because um, you know referees or anybody are influenced by hearing other things. So when you have a referee hearing the commentators. You know, that was such a bad call. This fight needs to be stopped or whatnot. Now the next round comes out, Jason. The referee doesn't want to be wrong twice. So in a situation, a similar one, now the other guy's putting it on him. And he's like, oh, boy, I don't want to make the same bad call. So you stop it early. And guess what? You kind of just screwed the first guy. So, um, you know, I think that instituting a review board is essential. I really do for all referees and judges. I think it's it should be required for almost any position in life. Uh, you talk about police officers, you talk about judges, you talk about referees, you talk about anything like not like a recertification or a review board to make sure that you're still on the same playing field and still abiding by the rules. And, uh, you know, consistency is key, but it's it's so, you know, few and far between in the sport of MMA. It really is. Well, I mean, and, you know, I think the other part of this is if you're in a fight and you go to the scorecards, we, everyone there sits there and says, Pete won that fight, let's just say two rounds of one, just as an example. But all of a sudden, there's two judges that say, no, Pete's opponent, John, won the fight two rounds of one. We know what your penalty is. Your penalty is... You didn't get that second check for the win bonus. Right. What's the penalty for the judge if they get the fight wrong? What What's the penalty if the referee gets the job wrong? I mean, look, we're human. We're all going to make mistakes. But it, it, it's also like, I, from a fighter's perspective, I sit there and say is, you know, and thankfully in the Mike Rodriguez situation, Dana White said, nah, man, we're paying him his win bonus. He won that fight. We'll give him his win bonus. But if they didn't give his him his win bonus... Like, I could imagine that, you know, maybe Mike Rodriguez is, um, you know, happy mentality is a little different right now if all of a sudden the UFC wasn't giving him that second check. Yeah, I mean, not every promotion has the luxury that the UFC does. Uh, You talk uh, about the UFC going and basically um, building an island where they can host fights. I mean, they can do anything at their disposal. Bellator is the only other, you know, promotion that can really come close to it and you talk about regionally chasing these things happen all the time regionally and it it really breaks my heart because i've been saying it for years because i've seen so many bad calls on the regional scene and guess what us regional fighters that are getting paid tons and tons of money that are really trying to make our way to the top we don't have as much say as the guys at the top you i mean this happens for years and years and years until it's finally in the spotlight and happening at the biggest stage. And now it's a big deal. But, you know, we've been dealing with this for a long time. So it, th- things need to change. And um, obviously commissions will will care more about to UFC bad calls than lower promotions. It's the truth. I'll give you an example of this. Like, if I'm, if I'm repping you, I got you a fight in Florida. Yeah. There's already a referee I know I don't want working your fight. 
and I'm immediately going to go to the commission two weeks before the fight, and I'm going to say, and I, I don't want to say the guy's name, and if, you, if you're part of the Florida MMA scene, you know who I'm talking about because inconsistent with his stoppage. It, it, are, you, it, are you able to do that, though? Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. All you, all you have to do is make the case. I will tell you. So I did a card down in Miami. And the matchmaker for the card went to the commission and said, if he works a fight, he can be behind the scenes guy. He could be, you know, doing things, helping the commission out. But we do not want him refing tonight. And, and they labeled out why. And he did not ref that night. Man, I, I wonder. I, I'll the- say this. Okay. I saw him there that night. He wasn't too happy. I wonder if that's the case up here or if that's the case in all com- uh, commissions because, um, you know, sometimes the commissions have their guys, and their guys are their guys. So uh, I got, know that you, you obviously have you have a relationship with somebody. Like, you know, they're not going – you know, if I say, you know, have, you know teach a guy or I teach his family member or whatnot, I'm not going to have him a part of anything for my fight because I don't want any collusion or whatever. Um, but besides that, that's interesting, Jason. I mean, like, that, that would be a thing of, you know, if you're fighting – let's just use Mohegan as an example. Yeah. You're fighting and we just go call Mike Mazzulli and go, Hey Mike, who who's work who's working the fights? You know? Because to me, and I know this is the case, as a fighter, you have a right to know who's working your fights. You have a right to know. And if you have any issue, and particularly also if you have any any, you know, like you know, for instance, you know, let's say you're on a Bellator card and Brian Miner's working the fights. Brian Miner's right. obviously not going to work your fight because of yeah. your your relationship with Brian. But that, but if there was a situation where a referee had previously worked your fight, or maybe maybe one of your training partners' fights, and you just didn't like it, all you have to do is explain to the commission. You just can't go to the commission and go, "Oh, we don't want this guy to to work my fight." You have to you have to have a reason, and then also back it up with video evidence too, and explain it. You know, and, and more times than not, the commission is going to go with you. In terms of the UFC, the only one I can remember publicly back in man, this is it was when Brock was. I want to say the second time he was fighting Frank Mir. It's got a Yamasaki, right? Uh, Steve Mazagati, because yes, yes, because Mazagati was the referee for the first fight against Frank Mir. And so Lesnar's team made the made the point. And, and usually and and also what'll happen on the UFC aspect is usually the manager of the fighter will go to Mark Ratner first. Yeah. And more times than not, Mark Ratner is going to be the one. You know, like if you ever listen to a Nevada Athletic Commission hearing, they'll publicly you know, announce who's going to be the referee and judges for title fights. So like the next time there's a, a UFC pay per view in in Vegas, you, you'll hear them, you know, where Bob Bennett, you know, goes on. He gives, you know, these are the referees and judges are working the fight. Here's my recommendation of who should be the referee, who should be judged for the fight. And what they'll do is, uh, and Mark Ratner is usually there. Now, obviously, COVID situation, I'm sure maybe Ratner's like on the phone or something. But they'll say, hey, Mark, is there any objections to any of these officials from the camps? And 99% of the time, he says, no, no objections at all. We're good with whatever. Nice. That's interesting to know. I mean, what happens, Jason, if, uh, you know, maybe you, 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 having a certain referee is just bad luck. So, like, maybe you got, like, a 5-0 and record when this guy's your referee and you got an 0-2 record when this guy's your referee. Be like, look at man. Look, I'm trying to ride that 5-0 and streak, so let's let's get this referee in there for me. I don't think that's going to work for you, boss. I don't <laughs> think that's going to work for you. But, but look, I mean, as I, I said yesterday on a podcast, the Vasi Athletic Commission needs to do the right thing. They need to overturn this fight to a no contest. That is the right thing to do. If they do not overturn this fight to a no contest, I don't know what it's going to take for them to overturn a fight. I don't. I don't see how they don't, Jason. It's pretty, you know, cut and dry. There's. It's not even close. It's really not close. Um, you know, it's just not close. It's. It's needs to be changed. Now, of course, every week on this podcast, we do like to give a, a technique of the week. Uh, I, I, the first one, I guess we really shouldn't say is a technique of the week. I think for any guy, every time this happens in, in a fight, you just cringe. But uh, we, we saw it last weekend with the Bellator shows. 
of oh I, I remember I was out with my buddy having some drinks on Friday night and we uh and someone had sent me the tweet of Raymond Daniels and I just I, man you see that and you're just like oh my goodness like uh so uh talk about from a fighting aspect Pete groin strikes groin strikes are horrible they are so bad and the reason they're so bad is because fighters really don't take care of themselves and they don't buy the proper cups. Um, you got guys that are fighting for thousands and thousands of dollars with Walmart mouthpieces and Walmart cups. Um, protect your teeth, protect your junk, uh, you know, get some, get some really good gear. Like, you know, you really need to protect yourself. You can get a, you know, you could go and get a steel cup. You could get a hard, hard cup that I have. Um, it's it's really good but it still doesn't take away everything and that's what people don't understand is you could have the best thing in the world but sometimes things get squished sometimes the angle sometimes people miss the cup and you know you get hit in some really really tricky spots um and just the impact alone i mean inside leg kicks most common for you know grunt strikes that is the number one thing so if you don't want to get kicked in the nuts, make sure that you don't get hit with inside leg kicks. So build up your defense with that. You talk about a jump spin and back kick, probably the strongest kick there is um, by Raymond Daniels, one of the best kickers on the planet. I mean, I feel for this guy. I really, really feel for him. And the first one was bad. I'm like, oh boy, he actually was doing pretty good. And, um, you know, Raymond Daniels struggles with guys who press him and throw great leg kicks. So I thought he had some promise in that fight. I'm like, oh, my goodness. He's on the ground moaning and hurting and everything. And then finally recovers. And you'll notice groin strikes happen a lot when two fighters are kicking at the same time. If, if a guy, one guy, the stationary guy isn't kicking and you kick him, it's it could somewhat be intentional because of the likelihood of, of the height of your kick. But when two guys are kicking, especially when a guy's throwing a, you know, a high round kick, you'll see groin kicks happen all the time. And that's what happened. Um, Daniel's opponent threw a, a round kick and he threw a jump spin and back kick and boom, another groin strike, the worst groin strike I've ever seen in MMA. This guy was crying on the mat and, uh, you know, the fight, I don't know what they were waiting for. I waved that thing off. That thing's over. Um, it was so unfortunate, man. It really was. And I'll tell you, Mohegan Sun has a history of groin strikes. It really, really does. Earlier in the night, they had a groin strike. And then one of the Bellator cards that I fought on um, was it was Mitrione against Kart. What's his name? Kartanov? Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Yes. The, he got kicked in the groin and was sent on a stretcher as well. So I don't know what's over there, what's going on with that, but... Well, he gets on nut shots. It's so bad. Yeah, that, that was. Yeah, I remember as uh, literally as that fight got called at Mohegan, I'm sitting there packing my stuff up because I was the main event. And there's literally people in the crowd, and I'm probably this is not going to surprise you at Mohegan that yeah. wants that wanted to step in the ring and fight Mitrione. Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah. Um, can you imagine how loud that arena would have been when Raymond Raymond Daniels kicked them and like first time he kicks him rolls his eyes like that was to the body and the heel was to the body but the rest of your 12 foot you know 12 inch foot hit him below the belt the next one was square was completely square and his lack of empathy was definitely very concerning it's like like i don't i don't know man I, everybody's different and uh I don't know. I, I would have felt terrible. Yeah, I would have felt so bad. And even in the post-fight interview, like the post-fight press conference, Raymond Daniels did not seem empathetic at all. Yeah, it's uh, man, it's 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 oh god, every time. And then they got to show the kicks in slow motion. Like, do we really need to show that show that thing in slow motion? What What's worse in slow motion, seeing an eye poke or seeing a groin strike? Oh, groin strike. Uh, say the worst groin strike. Or the okay, worst think, th okay. Think about this. Okay, when you see a groin strike, what do you do as a man? Oh, I cover man. up, turn my head, and groan. Yes. When you see an eye poke, what do you do? Oh, it's an eye poke. 
No, no, that's your eye, man. That is your eye. That has hurt so bad. Um, I think all guys will say groin strike, though. Yeah, exactly. Everyone would say groin strike. Uh, the other technique we wanted to talk about was from uh, two weeks ago. Uh, Mr. Mister Excitement, Michelle Pajaya, with his capoeira style and in MMA. You know, I really liked what Daniel Cormier was saying on the broadcast, where it's like, man, like, you're piecing this guy apart. You don't have to do that stuff. But, of course, that's that's his style. What, what's your take of capoeira in MMA? Um, so Capoeira has a great transition into kickboxing. Uh, the dexterity in their legs is crazy. They can throw all sorts of kicks and you'd think that they've been doing Taekwondo their whole life. And, uh, you know, their spin kicks are on another level. Their hips are on another level. Um, you know, Michelle Pejea, he's reckless. That's kind of what he is. And the UFC probably says, just keep being reckless, do whatever you do, and we'll keep paying you. You know, like he brings the excitement. But uh, there's a few things that he does that is just not technically smart. Um, you know, that rolling thunder front flip kick, going for it multiple times, like maybe one, okay, is like an absolute Hail Mary. Like, you know, you're down, you got the last, the last possession, you're just going to chuck it up there. Say he's down in a fight and he's trying everything. He's throwing everything at the wall. I understand that. But going to that rolling thunder front flip kick over and over and over is just not a smart thing because guess what? The guy scrambles well, and now you're on the mat, and you're out of an advantageous position. So, um, you know, they definitely can set up spin techniques great, and they hide it well, and they flow well. So I do like Capoeira quite a bit, and I think that is pretty useful. Yeah, I will tell you, it, you know, Pahaya, he he is so fun to watch. I mean, like, sign me up for any time that he's going to fight. You know, he's just, yep. he's fun to watch, you know, and that's, I mean, look, he's the type of fire that the UFC is looking for. And, uh, man, he puts on a, a fun, exciting fight. Uh, we did get a, a question about Saturday's fights. Uh, Hunter Man uh, on, on Twitter, he says, uh, Chimnev is at minus 400. He opened at minus 600 and as low as minus 340. Now, there were some guys that were touting Gerald, and, and betting is big now, not illegal in places. But it's hard for me to believe these guys follow horrid advice blindly. So, by the way, I'm worried about where that money came from. Look, I, I think it's merely it's people look at the value of that and, and sit there and say, you know what? It's a young kid. Um, you know, he should, I mean, he should win the fight. I mean, there's a, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a nice step up in competition for him. But, you know, if you sit there and tell me that Gerald Merchart wins on Saturday, which shocked me, no. Surprised me, yes. But, uh, I mean, look, from a betting aspect and a DFS aspect, there's definitely value on, on Gerald Merchart. Yeah, let me pull up my stat sheet right here. Um, okay, so you have Chamayev at 8 0, Merchart 31 and 13. Mearshart has finished 94% of his 31 victories, Jason. And I think that's where some of the money's coming in from. Uh, just the respect to Mearshart and thinking that, you know, like some betters really are just valuing experience. 11 fights in the UFC is only six and five, whereas this guy, Chamayev, fought possibly the worst wrestler in history in John Phillips uh, for his debut. Um, you know, had a, a tough challenge in his second fight. Still passed it, looked great. He's 2-0. and Great explosive takedowns, great dominant um, positions, significant strikes. I mean, the guy absorbs 0.1 strikes per 15 minutes. That is ridiculous. He just doesn't – he hasn't been hit. So how is he going to handle getting hit by Gerald Mearshart? Mearshart's nothing crazy as far as striking, but he's not just the guy that has a pulse. Like this guy is very, very dangerous, and I think that's where – you know, you have some some sharps coming in with some money thinking that he's going to get it done. Uh, his takedown defense is pretty terrible, though, and it really plays into the style of Chemayev. So I do like Chemayev in the fight, and I think that, you know, I think that he's going to put on a good performance. I really do. The only thing is, will he be somewhat undersized against a big Gerald Mearshart? Yeah, that's that's going to be the interesting thing. I mean, they're what? I mean, 6'1 versus 6'2, I want to say? Yeah, Mearshart 6'1, 77-inch reach. Chamayev 6'2 with a 75 inch reach. So slight reach advantage to Mearshart, slight height advantage to Chamayev. But if you look at just like thickness, I do think that Mearshart is the bigger guy. 
The only thing you just don't like is that publicly they've already said who's next for Shemaev and it's a noble fighter. And I, I, I just feel like sometimes that's a, that's tempting the MMA gods. Recipe for disaster, man. Uh, you know, Joanne Calderwood takes a tune-up fight because she still has a, a title fight lined up and it completely backfires. Um, you know, Chimaev just think that he's going to walk through Mearshart. I mean, he should win, but this guy's the most dangerous fighter that Chimaev's ever faced. And maybe Chimaev's confidence is inflated because he's been fighting somewhat nobodies. To develop that eight and zero record, I mean, John Phillips, he's not a, he's not at the UFC caliber. That, that's ridiculous. And you talk about a, uh, his next opponent was making his UFC debut. I mean, now you jump to a guy that has eleven UFC fights. So, you know, Mirashar could definitely spoil the prospect here if he's able to catch his neck. Here's the question: If you book John Phillips versus Gerald Mirashar, is it as dominating of a win? by Gerald Mershart as it was by Hamzat Shemaev. No. And no, it's not because the Mershart doesn't have that aggressive Russian takedown, Dagestani handcuff, beat you to a pulp, and just like rinse and repeat Habib type of style. You know, and the thing is with Shemaev, what I really like about him is once he gets to the ground, he's constantly looked to advance. Like that to yeah. me is a yeah. thing that sticks out with him above all else. Yeah, it's a thing of beauty, man. Like, you know, you have amazing wrestlers that could do what Habib does. Like, they really could to a point. I mean, I think mm -hmm. Habib's kind of in his own category. But a lot of people can replicate that style. They just choose not to because they play it safe. Whereas Habib really puts you in terrible positions. Chemayev does the same thing. Obviously, Chemayev has a long way to go to really catch up to what Habib has done in the UFC. But... It does look like he's the next guy to do so. By the way, uh, in terms of another little UFC news item, Rumble Johnson has entered the USADA testing program again. Wow. That is interesting, man. That that team, Sanford MMA, they're, they're getting some great news today, huh? Yeah, he uh, he's going to fight at 205. Initially, the thought was going to be heavyweight, but uh, all, all indications are that he will be uh, at light heavyweight crazy he's such a big guy i think he made 170 one day blows my mind <laughs> dude yeah <laughs> but there, there's like like paul Costa, how he makes 185 is, is also it. amazing yoel romero another one yeah i get the yoel romero though because he's like five feet tall but like paulo costa he just looks like he's a heavyweight like a light heavyweight he's humongous by the way, I don't know if you also saw Tiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira once again postponed. This time it's Tiago. That matchup is haunted. That That's the Tony Habib type of thing where it just keeps – they don't want it to happen. MMA gods don't want it to happen. So uh, Or the uh, Ankalaev and uh, Kutalaba rematch. Oh, my gosh. I know. Sometimes like so, so many good fights that should happen and we really can't wait to happen just never do. Yeah, I know. It's 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 like the whole Ferguson Poirier thing. Like it, it's 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 a typical play out Dana White's playbook of yeah. when they can't get the fire to accept the terms they want, he uses the line, "Oh, well, I guess he doesn't want to fight." Someone had posted a screenshot. Like they found all these articles of notable fighters that Dana White has said that line about. And it's all money related. It's all money related. It's it's I, I really don't like – I really like Dana White. I really do. I just don't like how he goes to the well with that because – and I understand he's a businessman. He's made the sport what it is today. But like when you think about what a company guy like Dustin Poirier has done for you, how much blood, sweat, and tears he's really you know, emptied into that octagon and how he's stepped up and fought this one and fought that one. I mean pay the man. I mean you're not talking about Conor McGregor pay. But, like, the guy's worth probably what he's asking. And, uh, you know, you could simply say we're negotiating at this time. And there's no fight, unfortunately, we want him to take this fight, but we're still negotiating. Why do you have to, like, go the route of, like, somewhat bashing, I guess, saying this, I guess he doesn't want the fight. There's ways to back out of a fight and convince us that you don't want to fight. And, and negotiating is one of them. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it, to me like to me my thing is this is like at the end of the day, 
Dana White's line has always been about how in the UFC, as opposed to boxing, we give you the fights you want to see, no matter what. And Ferguson Poirier is a fight we all want to see. And and, yeah. I, and and the thing I love is Ferguson is also about we go and pay the man, pay the man, give him what he wants. Let's make this fight happen. I love that that Tony's coming to his fellow fighters' defense. Yeah, I mean, because when you're in this business, Jason, you know, you you believe, uh, you know, just a little bit of what you hear because uh, you really know how it is behind closed doors. By the way, I forgot to mention your line earlier about protect your teeth and protect your junk. That might, yeah. be, that might be a new t-shirt for you. <laughs> it's true. Maybe we'll get, you know, a mouthpiece sponsorship or a, a junk protection sponsorship. We'll have Takedown City, Protect Teeth, Protect Junk. <laughs> I like it. I'm cool with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, actually, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, it was in the, uh, the Osmo Premium Slack account of someone uh, mentioned about uh, you and Romanoff uh, last week. Oh, yeah. What they say? Yeah. I'll, I'll pull it up right now. I saw it after uh, after we finished the show last oh, night because someone asked me, asked a question to me about. Um, Covington and uh, and Woodley. Uh, yeah, Matt Riley goes. Got to mention Ronoff ten times once. Pete, he almost submitted him with a forearm early, double hammer fist, suplex. What more do you want? Told you, I told you. I mean, like Romanov's my guy. Yeah, I was big on Tom Aspinall. Delivered. I was big on uh, Romanov. There was one more guy that I was really big on, and he delivered. Oh, it was Chemayev. When Chemayev first yeah. came over, we were really big on Chemayev. So look at three for three, three studs. Um, you know, all this tape study pays off. And uh, I would love to see these guys all on a card together because, like, this quarantine has been amazing wow. as far as fights. You ain't getting a 700 Roman off again. Yeah, I tell you, he's going to beat Jemayev's score, 100%. Yeah, the other question Matt had, uh, he said, Willie versus Usman and Covington versus Usman were such different fights, standing versus ground. Do you anticipate this fight to go one way or the other? My response to him was that I do expect uh, Fort to mainly play on the feet and against the fence since Woodley's tendency is to circle and keep his back against the cage. I would agree. I would agree with that. I think it's going to be a lot in the clinch. Um, Woodley looking for one big shot, throws little sprints, little little blasts. But uh, I'm fully expecting Colby Covington to go out there and shock a ton of people. And I do like what I just read about him being at MMA, MMA Masters. You are correct with that. Training with Miguel Baeza a lot. And um, I thought that was very interesting. Uh, I will tell you, I was uh, I reserved some lineups on FanDuel earlier in the week, so I started yep. trying to create lineups. It's tough, man. It is tough on FanDuel this week. Yeah, fit, man. Uh, let me let me pull up my sheet. You got Mirshar eight dollars staring you in the face, so we know that he's got to carry some ownership just because it's a cheap play. And I mean, does the guy break twenty points? Here's like here's the thing, okay? So Damon Jackson, who just got signed to take home Mirsad Bektik, he'll have a low salary. Um, like I was looking at on Fanduel the fourteen and under options. So we're talking Mershart eight dollars, Ronda Marcos eleven, Darren Stewart eleven, uh, Marmel Barella eleven, uh, Sarah Alpar twelve, Erwin Rivera fourteen, Derek Meyer thirteen. Jeremiah Wells will probably be in that range as well once his FanDuel line comes out. I was like, you're going to have to take one of those fighters. You're going to have to. Especially if you want to get... Because I I was thinking about today, and I I know we'll talk about this on Saturday on Live Before Lock. I was just like, there's definitely a thought process on FanDuel to go away from Colby Covington, but, but, but... You are scared to death. If you walk into like the main event with like 700 points, you're like in first place in your in your tournament, you're going to be sweating that thing out because you know there's going to be a bunch of people with Colby Covington, and then you're probably becoming the biggest Tyron Woodley fan. Yeah, it's true. I mean, if Woodley can prevent takedowns early, there's no way he prevents takedowns the whole 25 minutes. That's not going to happen. Uh, a, maybe he can prevent it for the first two rounds until he gets fatigued. Um, the guy does have a good 
wrestling background, but let's think of uh, Gilbert Burns dropped him, hurt him, had him on the ground, pounded him out, and then proceeded each round after that to take him down when he wanted, put him in bad, bad spots, and just have an outstanding performance. So um, I think people will be surprised with Kobe Covington here. Getting away from him on FanDuel, I, I guess you can do it at $23. Uh, it does make a little bit of sense just to kind of mix up your options because um, I would love to do a crunch with locking Colby Covington in on Fandle and seeing what you can possibly get to because if you do so, you know, there's probably not that many variations of that. So you're going to be splitting the top with a lot. Uh, I mean, $23 is $23. That's very, very tough. Um, and, you know, like we mentioned, you can make that work, but what low option are you really confident in? I guess the, the low options, I think Alpar at 12 and Romero Barella at 11 will be very popular because of that. So let's just say you locked in Colby Covington as the MVP because I think that's where most people would put him at. Yeah. Uh, so just doing a crunch here. TJ Laramie coming up the most, 53-ish percent. On Fandle, yeah. yeah. That, that's put, that's locking in Colby uh, as MVP. So in 150 lineups, you come up with 23 players in those 53 lineups. Interesting. Gerald Murchart lands in 40% of those lineups. Yeah, that that's I could have told you that. I mean, that's that makes sense. Uh, you're like, paying a high spot and dropping low on others. I mean... I, I was thinking about this, looking at this card. And I think this is going to be another thing we can talk about on Saturday. Do you completely fade all the female fights on this card? Normally I'd say yes, but I feel like the way the roster construction is, it's kind of forcing you to get to one. Um, which Who's one? I, I don't know. Marcos and Dur- uh, Marcos and Dern would probably be the one. Right. So I'm just I'm unclicking all the females' fights to see what comes up. And this will be FanDuel just because I have it open up right now. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what pops up here. I mean, if you guys are fans of of uh, you know DFS, you guys definitely have to head over to Awesomeo and check out their stuff. I mean, what we do for them is great, and uh, they got some cool tools that really help us as well. So taking out all the female fights on FanDuel, yeah, nineteen players in your pool in one hundred and fifty lineups with locking Colby Covington in as MVP. At 73% in 150 lineups, Jerome Burchard. Yeah, I told you. I told you. And that's that's tough. And I think that's what a lot of people using optimizers are going to get. And I don't know if it's the play, Jason, because I think he's single digits. Um, obviously, if he wins, he breaks the slate. But most likely scenario, single digit performance. Yeah, man. It's uh, yeah. Look forward to that coming up on Saturday. Of course, the weigh-ins are tomorrow, so you got to pay attention to that. I think uh, you know one of the things we want to really look at the weigh-ins is what is 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 there a noticeable size difference between Donald Cerrone and Nico Price? Um, as far as height, Cowboy is actually the taller man, Nico but just Price, in terms of the build yeah. at one seventy. Yeah, I mean. Cerrone should be fighting at 55. It's just come to a point where weight cutting, he doesn't need to. Uh, he likes being at 170. He's had plenty of he's, good performances. He's another but, guy, ideal 165. 100%. 100%. Nico Price is a big guy and uh, you know could pose some problems, but I'm really excited about that fight. Yeah. it's uh, Overall, I mean, you look at that main card on Saturday night, it's a really good main card. Now, Jason, fill me in. Is this pay-per-view or is this free? It's UFC Vegas 11, so I would imagine. Uh, you mean is it is it regular ESPN or ESPN Plus? You mean? Yeah. So I mean, is it ESPN Plus or or pay per view? Uh, I'll tell you right now. It is. If that is an ESPN Plus, which in my opinion, I would call that a technically free card because you just ESPN, need to... it's it's ESPN Plus card, but not not pay per view. No, 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 no. Just regular ESPN yeah. Plus. That's what I'm saying. So this is essentially a free card. Um, you know, you just need an ESPN Plus subscription. This is as good as it gets, Jason. Like this is a banger from top to bottom. I mean, what's? It's crazy. You got names everywhere. You got action everywhere. You got up and comers everywhere. 
I don't understand why some cards like are so stacked like this and they have 15 fights and then other ones struggle to get nine. I think it's the way it's come together. I mean, I also I wonder how much of putting a 15 fight card together is just in case. Yeah. Jace, my dad and I, when we were putting cards together, right? It's you aim, you, you book 12, you aim for 10. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, oh. you book more and guess what? There was one time, Jason, I swear to God. Okay. My dad and I, he put on a, a an MMA and kickboxing card, right? At Mohegan Sun in the ballroom. And we booked 15 fights in all 15 fights state. We were there till almost one or two o'clock in the morning. It was so long and ridiculous. It was the longest card. The people that had what twenty dollar, twenty dollar general admission, they were loving it. They were there all all night. Hey, as long as, long as they're going to the concession stand, putting money into the, yeah. it's all good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, goodness gracious, that was that was a night, man. And uh, I fought on that card. I was the third fight, and then there's still like five hours after my first fight. I mean, it was like ridiculous. Bro, there's sometimes you put up some Facebook memories of yourself. I'm like, man, you look so goddamn young in those pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, young and graduated high school at 133 pounds. Wow. Yeah, I was, I, I was a skinny kid, man. I was tall and skinny. So, like, um, you know. Fighting at 135 pounds and then 145 pounds. And a lot of times the problem for me going back, dating back, like when you think of, what was I, 16? So 2006, trying to find light guys that would accept the fight against a guy who's six feet tall, 135 pounds Mm. was pretty tough. Not many people wanted to take that fight. Yeah, man. It's, uh, you know, styles make fights. Nowadays, there's so I feel like there's so many people. It's so much more popular. There's MMA, there's kickboxing, there's everything. So you got grappling tournaments going on. I mean, when I was starting off in MMA and kickboxing, kickboxing first, obviously. My buddies and I, we didn't know anything about jujitsu, like Brazilian jujitsu. Like we had a BJ Penn book that we would look at and we'd practice. <laughs> and most of the most of the grappling was on YouTube. And like, that's like where fighters nowadays are so lucky. You don't have like amazing jujitsu coaches and everything. And then like you're talking about three, four years ago, one of the best things to happen is my jujitsu coach. I met my jujitsu coach and he just came over from Brazil and now he runs a uh, Henzo Gracie, Rhode Island. So there were no Henzo schools. There were no Gracie schools around. There was nothing. It was a bunch of guys that were either wrestlers or strikers. That was it. And like mixing the two together was like unheard of. Yeah, now I mean, now I mean, it's I mean, you think about some of the newer school fighters. T.J. Laramie, perfect example. Yeah, this is not and, it's not a kid with just one base. It's he's a mixed martial artist. That that's the growth of the sport, and Joe Rogan talks about it a lot of how you're really going to see the evolution of the sport and how everybody coming out, nobody's going to be one dimensional. I was one dimensional for a very long time, and uh, it took me a while to learn everything and get to where I'm at where I'm at now. But um, you know, you have so many more coaches and so many more people wanting to open gyms. And when I was looking for an MMA gym to take part in an MMA fight that nobody really knew of, I mean, the only MMA gym around was Lion's Den run by Ken Shamrock. And Mm. it's kind of not even run by Ken Shamrock. It's just his name. So like to think now where we're at and how it's just all over MMA gyms all over. It's pretty cool. I like it. Yeah. We had a, Ken in the studio uh, for one of our shows about two years ago. Not a very tall yep. guy. No, huh? I, I feel like thick. You thick. Yeah, he's a dude, big guy. He's a big, <laughs> big guy. dude. Thick dude. <laughs> yeah. He walked in. He walked in, and uh, we we'd already had everything set up. And in my mind, I'm like, "Ooh, he is thick." Yeah. 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 He's 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 still professional wrestling. Wow. And he's like. Early mid fifties, I want to say. He's got to be older than that. I I, I want to say he's early fifties. I, I that'd be my I'm guess. A, I'm looking this up right now. Hold on. He is fifty six. Wow. But yeah, he's still he's doing Impact Wrestling still. Crazy. Goodness gracious, he's done everything. He's yeah, six foot, Jason. What do you mean he's not tall? 
I'm six four. I know that's what I'm saying. People don't understand how big Jason. <laughs> Jason. <laughs> so yeah, I was always you know, Jason tall. Douglas Lima is humongous. He's humongous. <laughs> yeah. Now my senior year of high school, I was six four, two hundred pounds playing football. Goodness gracious. O line? No, D line. Defensive D-line. end. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. You gotta gotta pull up some shots, man. I gotta see some photos of Oh, that. I was skinny back in those days. Ooh, I was skinny. I'd That's love cool. to get down that that weight. I'd love to get That's- down. You know. You know, my, my biggest thing is, and we'll we'll kinda end on this, is like for me it's just with everything that I'm involved with, it's like, okay, how do I find time to get a workout in? Like that's that's my biggest dilemma I deal with is like, how do I how do I set aside two hours a day to get a workout in? Yeah, it's true. Get a Peloton, do something. Okay, if I went right now and try to order one, would it be here in the next three months? No, it's back ordered. I already I already looked into it. They're back ordered for like three to six months. So it's like uh, my wife has a Bowflex machine. Um, yeah, it's like the treadmill elliptical thing go up and oh, down, yeah, yeah. dude. It is. That's it's a workout, man. You told me about that. Bowflex actually just came out with a bike similar to a Peloton, right? So you're on it. It has a screen like a monitor, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're doing the whole thing. You hit a button, and uh, as the screen say you're going around a corner, the the bike completely tilts. Oh left. wow! Yeah, so it's pretty gnarly and. Uh, I feel like I would get sick on that, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I keep like I keep sitting there and thinking about like, okay, is it time to go back to the gym? But I'm still like I I would say I'm still I don't want to say nervous. Cautious. But is Florida like the Wild West? Like is any anybody wearing masks or anything? So You're supposed to be, yeah. How many people follow it? Pretty, pretty frequent. I mean, every once in a while, like I'll go into the grocery store, go in the Target. You'll see that that one guy who you know does want to wear it. Um, but uh, yeah, I would tell you, I got I got this mask the other day. It is the best mask. I, I, my my big thing with wearing a mask is my glasses fogging. Like that's the biggest yeah. thing. But this one mask I got the other day. Oh man, awesome, awesome. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. I think the the play in. Um, in Florida would be trying to find a gym that's not too popular. Like I wouldn't go to like an LA Fitness or Planet Fitness. I don't know what you have yeah, I'm, I'm at a, a a a big gym with a lot of people, and so it's it's more of like when I go to gym for the most part, like I'm not in there to like be Mister. I'm benching 200. I I'm I'm doing cardio. That that's my my thing. You know, I look into like a 24 hour fitness or something where it's kind of like. You have a key fob. You can go there whenever. Not too many people go there. Like up here, right? Gym business isn't hurting. So if you want to get a workout in, you want like single digit, 10 people maybe in the whole place, you go to one of those. And uh, I'm sure that down in Florida, I, it's hard to find places like that. But The bigger thing for me is, is everyone doing their part of like clean up the equipment after they're done working on it working out on it. that's that's my big thing i would do i would just clean before and after i wouldn't trust nobody that's the I'd, oh i, I did i do that before covid because i would that's see what? i would see these dirty people that would mm-hmm. like sit there be on you know be on a treadmill for an hour just dripping down sweat they get off and don't wipe it down nothing i'm like you dirty mofos yeah yeah you know i mean when i go to a gym I layer up. I can't stand the AC. I hate it. So like I'm always long sleeve shirt, sweat shirt, sweat pants. So I have like zero skin contact on anything to begin with. Um, I'll have my mask on if I was going to a public gym. And uh, you know, I ain't got to worry about nothing. Put your hood on, you're good. And uh, so you live in you the know, Northeast. You can't do that that down here in Florida, bro. When I've been in Florida, I do the same exact thing. I used to go for runs, all suited up, and people look at me like I'm insane. Bro, I've lived in Florida all my life. It gets hotter every year. Yeah. You know, people look at me crazy when I'm going to a meeting in a long sleeve shirt. I'm like, yeah, I'm just trying to look professional here. Yeah, it's hot as can be. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's why I work in the booth on game days. I don't work on the field. I work in the booth. I'm in the AC. Smart man. Smart man. Yeah, it gets hot on the field. I've been been on the field in Florida. Woo. 
it's hot hot yeah so. i can only imagine the players with all the padding and everything I, well, yeah, when we did when we did Camp Orlando, you would you just see guys how much how, they, how much weight they would lose. I mean, I mean, I'm sure you go through the same thing in just a regular training session of how much your weight fluctuates by if you weighed yourself right when you started your session to when you end, you would have a big fluctuation with what your weight was. Oh yeah, 100. percent And like anybody that's trained with me, I I hate the AC, so we're training in a hot gym, and then you know you talk about getting everybody in the body heat. It's only going to get worse. Like there are times, Jason, I'm not even exaggerating where the uh, thermometer it's it's 100 degrees in in our gym and i'm fine with it and i love it and uh some people don't love it but that's why they don't come and the people that come are really committed you got some issues there bro (laughs) you got some issues we ain't got to worry about cardio so (laughs) that that is true that is true but uh that is going to wrap it up for this edition of the fire hq podcast of course uh coming up on saturday 4 p.m eastern time will be mma live before lock right there on awesomeo.com be sure to check out our strategy show it is over at the awesomeo youtube page i'll put a link to it in the description of this show so if you haven't had a chance to check out that show be sure to check it out all as well also be sure to hit that thumbs up button right here on youtube that does help us out, out as well that is going to do it for this edition of the fight hq podcast This is a Valor Hour with Tim Lloyd Quick Fix on Radio Influence. This week on the Valor Hour, Greg Hopkins joins us to give us his take on the controversial ending of his title fight in the main event of this past weekend's Valor 73 in Chattanooga. My whole life, I don't want to go into my whole life story, but my whole life I've been getting been getting pushed around and screwed around and nicked over and, and I'm just I'm just getting sick and tired of having things just slip away from me and me being a nice guy, grabbing the mic hunter by hey guys, respect this man, don't boo him. Don't do this, don't do that. Telling my you know, telling my girl son that you guys grow up, you gotta do it like this, you gotta set the right example. But at what point in time do I turn around and say, What the f is my career? Like when when do I get a, a say so in something? I was a no contest. The referee looked at everybody greenside and said, I know it wasn't malicious. I know it wasn't flagrant. So how the hell was it intentional? When he looked at Jason and looked at me, he said, I know it wasn't intentional. Then you want to turn around and change your opinion when the doctor comes in here. The doctor came in. He looked at Jason and he said, Jason, take two forward steps towards me. Jason said, I need to sit down. And Raymond Daniels kicked that boy a lot harder than I did. All right. So Academy Award winner, Jason King for the night. Let's fight again. I don't want it in January. I don't want it in February. I want another fight before then. I hate fighting on Christmas. I hate fighting on Thanksgiving because that's when my whole family's around. But guess what? They'll all come and watch. So I don't know where we're going to fight. It could be at Joe, Nashville, Chattanooga. But I don't want to sit and wait. I'm in shape. I was in shape for five rounds. I was ready to go five rounds. I got three minutes. And that's about how long it was going to take for me to finish it. I'm, I'm a businessman as well as uh, Jason King is. So when everybody's saying the businessman won, that's, that's not the case. Yeah, we're not shitting, and, and, and I love KMAA. You know, as far as Jason goes, the fighter, you know, I lost a lot of respect for him there. Valor Hour with Valor Fighting Challenge matchmaker Tim Loy can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.